One of the most fun things I get to do as a pastor is teach confirmation class. Seventh and eighth graders, when you can get their attention, have uh, really great questions. Just this last week, for instance, here at St. Paul's confirmation class, we were talking about the Trinity, about how God is three in one and one in three. And we got into this big conversation about since one of the names that we call God is Father, does that mean that God is male? Hmm. Now, I shared the idea with the confirmands that to call God male might not fully describe who God is. That maybe God doesn't have a gender the same way we think about gender because God doesn't have a physical body like we do, right? Like no beard. I'm sorry if that's shocking to any of you that God does not have a beard. No certain body parts. So it was fine. It is fine for us to call God Father, but we didn't need to think about God as being a man just like the men that we know. So thinking about God's gender or maybe even thinking about God being beyond gender, that stretched our confirmands' minds just a little bit. Maybe it stretches your minds just a little bit. Of course, one of the reasons that we call God Father is because that's what Jesus called God. So then the conversation turned to, well, what does it mean that God was Jesus' father? And someone asked, well, whose DNA did Jesus have? Uh, uh, 20 years of pastoral ministry, a few hundred confirmation classes taught, and no one has ever asked me before about Jesus' DNA. So I just in Luke chapter 2. So eighth graders ask good questions. That's my point. And if you want to weigh in on the question of Jesus' DNA, well, you feel free to talk to me after worship, okay? <laughs> but another year in another church, I had a confirmand ask me another really wonderful and penetrating question. In complete seriousness, she said to me, I understand I'm supposed to love God. That makes sense. And I come here to church. But what does that have to do with the rest of my life? Hmm, an excellent question, and one for which there are some pretty specific biblical answers. The short answer is everything. What we believe about God, our faith in Jesus, that ought to have everything to do with the rest of our lives. If it doesn't, if what we say and we pray and we hear and we sing here in worship, if it doesn't have relevance on how we live out the rest of the week, if it doesn't influence our other relationships, if it doesn't shape how we move through the world, well, then we have become what the writer of James fears, hearers of the word only and not doers. And therefore, we are among those who deceive themselves. The book of James is this funny little piece of biblical literature. It, it doesn't really fit into the category of a letter. It's too general for that. It doesn't really count as a sermon. There's no worship elements in it. We don't know who wrote it or why he did, where he sent it, or who first read it. it it's a pretty late addition to the biblical canon, one of the last books written. But the book of James made it into the Bible, and it's been handed down to us by the long tradition of the church, probably because it lends itself to very direct application. James doesn't waste a lot of time getting to his point. He just says it. What he's written seems to be a teaching guide, a kind of moral exhortation to help us live out the Christian life the best as we can. 
And he was worried, even in those early days of the church, that believers would sometimes limit their understanding of faith to just what was in their heads or just what was their words, that they focused so much on believing the right thing, and I suspect, much like today, argued a lot about what is the right thing to believe. They focused so much on believing the right thing that it never translated into action. And for James, faith without action isn't faith at all. This isn't just James' idea. Of course, the Apostle Paul was very much concerned with the same thing. People who, fail, who say they believe in Jesus, but they fail to show it by how they treat other people. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers. This is why I'm so glad that our mission statement here at St. Paul's continues to point us outward and reminds us that we know the saving love of Jesus, not just for our own benefit, but to make a real difference in the world. Now, we're spending a few weeks here in October to consider our mission statement together and to think about how it's helping us build a legacy of a strong and vital church. We try to put that mission statement in a lot of different places so that you'll see it occasionally and be reminded of what God is calling us to be and do here at St. Paul's Papillion. We are generations of disciples reflecting God's love to our community and the world. Have you noticed how outward-focused that is? First of all, we're disciples of Jesus. Right? We receive God's love. Absolutely every one of us has the chance to receive and know the love and the forgiveness of God, a grace that changes us, that heals us, that restores us, that makes us new. Jesus saves us. He saves me. He saves you. He saves us for eternity, and he is saving us right now. Jesus is saving us from all kinds of things right now. And he does it because he loves us. But that's not the end of the story. Because as soon as we know God's saving love, Jesus wants us to go out and tell other people about it. He wants us to share his forgiving, transforming love with other people. He wants us to reflect his love into the world. We've got something so good, we need to share it. So we're generations of disciples reflecting God's love. But it's not just that we would reflect it to ourselves, that it would just be here inside the church. I mean, hopefully we do reflect God's love to one another with the way that we treat one another. But God wants us to share it far beyond the walls of the church, to the whole community of Papillion, of Sarpy County. In fact, to the whole world, to everyone as far and wide as we can, to all those with whom we interact so that our faith in God touches every aspect of our lives. It affects all our relationships. It guides all our actions and words wherever we are, whoever we're with. Be ye doers of the word and not merely hearers. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not suggesting we'll be perfect at it. But I do want to remind us that there are opportunities for us to share God's kind of love Opportunities that pop up around us every day if we'll just have eyes to see them. I love this story from the great preacher Fred Craddock who tells a story about his own life and the difference between hearing and doing God's word. He was studying in Nashville in the early 1960s and he says, I was, a graduate school, I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt I had left the family and children in the little parish I served and moved into a little room to prepare for those terrible comprehensive exams. He was working on his PhD. He said, it's make it or break it time. They can kill you. 
I would go every night about 11.30 or midnight to a little all-night diner, no tables, just stools, and have a grilled cheese and a cup of coffee to take a break from my studies. It was the same every night. The fellow behind the counter at the grill knew when I walked in to prepare a grilled cheese and a cup of coffee. He'd give me a refill, sometimes come again and give me another refill. I joined the men of the night sitting there hovering over coffee, still thinking about my own possible questions about the New Testament exam. Craddock continues, then I noticed a man who was there when I went in but had not yet been waited on. I'd been waited on, had a refill, and so had others. Then finally the man behind the counter went to the man at the end of the counter and said, what do you want? He was an old gray-haired black man. Whatever the man said, the fellow went to the grill, scooped up a little dark patty off the back of the grill, put it on a piece of bread without condiment, without napkin. The cook handed it to the man who gave him some money. Then he went outside by the garbage can out on the street. He sat on the curb with the 18-wheelers of the night with a salt and pepper from the street to season his sandwich. Craddock says, I didn't say anything. I did not reprimand, protest, or witness to the cook. I did not go out and sit beside the man on the curb on the edge. I didn't do anything. I was thinking about the questions coming up on the New Testament exam. Now, acting on what we hear is not always a complicated or difficult task. It can be those things, but it can also mean simple attentiveness and making small choices every day to show that the word of God is growing inside of us. Quite a few years ago, the producers of NPR resurrected a program from the early 1950s entitled, This I Believe. That's the kind of title that gets a preacher's attention on the radio, This I Believe. I loved hearing how every week they would air this short segment where someone would uh, write an essay, a celebrity or a regular listener, they would write an essay of 500 words on the principles that guided their life. This, I believe. Not an easy thing to sum up your beliefs and guiding principles in just 500 words. I mean, a sermon is like five times that long. So it can't be easy, but I think it's a great exercise to discern the difference between merely hearing and doing, uh, doing God's word. So here's an example, one that I think that shows us how small choices can reflect that we are doers of God's word. The writer is a woman named Sarah Adams who was an English professor at a community college in Washington. And she entitled her essay, Be Cool to the Pizza Dude. Be Cool to the Pizza Dude. She said, Coolness to the pizza delivery dude is a practice in humility and forgiveness. I let him cut me off in traffic. I let him safely hit the exit ramp from the left lane. I let him forget to use his blinker without extending any of my digits out the window <laughs> or going towards my horn because there should be one moment in my harried life when a, co when a car may encroach or cut off or pass and I just let it go. Sometimes, she says, when I have become so certain of my ownership of my lane, daring anyone to challenge me, the pizza dude speeds by in his rusted chevette, his pizza light atop his car glowing like a beacon, reminding me to check myself as I flow through the world. After all, the dude is delivering pizza to young and old, 
families and singletons, gays and straights, blacks, whites, browns, rich and poor, vegetarians and meat lovers alike. As he journeys, I give him safe passage. I practice restraint, show courtesy, and contain my anger. Coolness to the pizza delivery, dude, is a practice in equality. I am the equal of the world not because of the car I drive, the size of the TV I own, the weight I can bench press, or the calculus equations I can solve. I am the equal to all because of the kindness in my heart. And it all starts here with the pizza delivery dude. Be ye doers of the word and not merely hearers. Now, you were invited to do that in one really tangible way today by sharing with us what portion of your resources you want to contribute to our mission in 2023. And some of us here are able to give a lot, and some of us are not able to give very much at all. And a faithful response to God's invitation comes in all kinds of different amounts depending on the bottom line of your household. Now, you know that the biblical standard that we have for charitable giving is a tithe. It's pretty clear through scripture, pretty clear handed down through Christian tradition, right? 90% of our resources for us and our families, 10% for the benefit and the blessing of others. And, and there are plenty of good reasons why it may not work for you and your family to give a tithe right now to the church and other charitable causes. Maybe your rent has gone up a lot this year. Maybe you need to buy your medications. Maybe you're spending a ton on childcare right now, or you're helping to care for an elderly parent. But if you haven't ever given a tithe and you have the ability to tweak your budget just a little this year to take a step toward it, I just want to encourage you to do that. Even moving up 1% from what you gave last year, I think you will find it to be a tremendous blessing, a joy in sharing your abundance in a ways that impacts other people's lives. Our gifts our financial resources, they are one way that we promise as United Methodists to put our faith in action. I'm so grateful that Tom reminded us of our membership vows that we take. And here in the United Methodist Church, those vows are about action. They're not about belief. Right? We confess that Jesus Christ is our Savior, but then we promise to live it out in weekly practices by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and sometime in the 90s or 2000s, we added a fifth one, Tom. Witness is also a part of that. Prayers that we pray for and with each other. And that happens here at church, of course, but I, I hope it doesn't just happen at church. I hope that in your own life that you take a moment to pray for one another, pray for those we know that are struggling here, and pray for the concerns of the world. Presence, it's a promise that we'll show up for one another. That when we call St. Paul's our spiritual home, it means actually being here, participating in our ministries, helping create new places for new people, always offering welcome and hospitality, prayers, presents, gifts, that out of our abundance we contribute to the common work and mission of this church, service, that we give of our talents and our time to serve others without expectation of being served in return. Pastor Bellarmi gave us a great sermon about that last week. And finally, witness that we will be a visible example to the world of the goodness of God by how we live, how we treat others, and how we make space for everyone at the table. So my challenge for you this week is to reflect on the ways that you are doing the word of God, not merely hearing it in your life. 
Are there some moments lately that you have missed, like Fred Craddock, that you've missed putting your faith into action? If so, ask God for forgiveness and ask for strength so that the next time an opportunity comes, you take it. Is there simply some habit that you can adopt, like being cool to the pizza dude, to help you see the people around you and to give you a chance to be a carrier of God's love in their lives? Or is there some part of our membership covenant, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness, that you feel called to lean into in a new way? I'd love to talk with you about it if you need ideas. And in doing so, you will strengthen our community. You will further our mission to be generations of disciples reflecting God's love to our community and the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.